Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you. Father, we could thank you for everything. There is an endless list of things we could thank you for. But Father, in this hour, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you revealed yourself to us, that you desire for us to know you, to know you closely, to know everything about you, to grow close to you, and to spend all of eternity with you. Father, that you want us to be a family, that you want to be our father, and you want us to be your children. And so, Father, we thank you for your love. Father, please help us during this hour that we study your word, that you will open our minds and hearts to understand your word of who you are and who we are, and open our hearts to give us the courage and the boldness and the strength and the love to do what you've asked us to do. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are ending the book of Acts today. We are nearing the end of Paul's ministry, and he is headed to Jerusalem knowing that he will die, very similar to the way that Jesus, we read how Jesus was headed to Jerusalem knowing that he was going to die. So after he had traveled through several towns, we pick up in Caesarea in Acts chapter 21, verse 10. It says, After we had been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. I did think about asking to borrow someone's belt and then sitting down up here and trying to tie my hands and feet, but in fear that I wouldn't be able to untie myself, I just chose against it. Um, but just imagine that if you would. Here a prophet shows up. Paul is preaching. He knows. Holy Spirit's been talking to Paul as well. But the Holy Spirit has revealed to this prophet to let Paul know um, that he is going to be bound if he continues his journey to Jerusalem. He will be tied up by Gentiles. When he heard this, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul replied, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You may want to mark that verse right there. That is Paul's heart on display what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, as he says I will be, but also to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we said no more, except the Lord's will be done. Paul had an attitude of total commitment to Jesus Christ and to the kingdom of God. He was willing not only to suffer for Christ, but also to die for him. But we're going to see that even though he is completely committed he still experiences fear and needs encouraging. After he arrived in Jerusalem, he took four Jewish men with him to the temple, and he paid for them to have their heads shaved to complete a vow that they had made to God, hoping to show the Jews in Jerusalem that he was not trying to abolish God's law, as they had been going around saying about him, and hopefully ease some of the tensions that had been growing. But instead of easing tensions with the Jews, a riot formed, and they merely killed him. So the Roman commander, the Roman army, had to come in and take him into custody so that he wouldn't be killed. So that's where we're going to pick up with the Roman commander. Acts 22, verse 30. The next day, since he wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and instructed the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to convene, 
he brought Paul down and placed him before them. Now, the Sanhedrin is the Jewish leaders who were accusing Paul and wanted to kill Paul. And the Roman commander, wanting to know what Paul, as a Roman citizen, had done deserving of death, he convenes the Sanhedrin and has them accuse Paul to have, have a trial right there and let him know why does this Roman citizen deserve to die. <clears throat> Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience to this day. The high priest Ananias ordered those who were standing next to him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. You are sitting there judging me according to the law, and yet in violation of the law, you are ordering me to be struck. Was it, I mean, let's just... If you're in court and these are the people wanting to kill you, is this the best tactic to, to take? <clears throat> Those standing nearby said, Do you dare revile God's high priest? I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, replied Paul. For it is written, You must not speak evil of a ruler of your people. When Paul realized that one part of them were Sadducees and the other part were Pharisees, he cried out in the Sanhedrin, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am being judged because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees affirm them all. The shouting grew loud, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party got up and argued vehemently. We find nothing evil in this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? When the dispute became violent, the commander feared that Paul might be torn apart by them and ordered the troops to go down, take him away from them, and bring him into the barracks. The following night, listen carefully, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, have courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. Paul knew he was going to Jerusalem. He had been warned by more than just the prophet Agabus. He had been warned by multiple prophets that he was going to die. And as he gets there, he's facing trial that he knows could end in his death, and he argues vehemently with them. <clears throat> You think Paul has no fear. You think he needs no encouragement. But right here, it says that night, while in jail, the Lord himself, Jesus, appeared and stood beside him. And the first thing he said was, have courage. Angels and, and Jesus, messengers, when, they, when you read of them saying, do not fear, do not fear, they're not just saying it as a greeting. That's not a good greeting. You know, what if that was how we all greeted each other? Hey, don't be afraid of me. That's just not a good greeting. You say these things when it's true. He told him to have courage because he was afraid. He was in jail. He knew things were not going well. He knew he was going to die. And even though he was committed to dying for Christ, he was willing to die and committed, I will die. It does not mean he was not afraid of dying. Even though in other places we read how he says, he says, I don't know which is better for me to choose to stay with you, which means more fruitful ministry, or to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul was a man who was ready to go home. 
Paul was determined he will die and will not back down and will not recant his faith in Christ. He is willing to die for Christ, but it doesn't mean he's looking forward to the process. See, courage is not the absence of fear. It's acting in spite of it. That's courage. People who are courageous, it's not that they don't have any fear. It's that they act in spite of their, their fear. And that is what we see Paul here. And it's an encouraging thing for us too. Jesus stood beside him and told him to have courage. But he didn't say, for I am going to break you out of this cell tonight. And we will go, I have a nice house prepared for you in, in the fields where you can just retire easy. He said, no, have courage. For just as you've testified about me in Jerusalem, you're also going to go to Rome to testify me before the emperor there. So he reassured him, you will still die at the end of this process, but I'm here with you. So have courage because I'm waiting just on the other side of your death. <clears throat> but did you notice how Paul, and we're going to take a little side note here, did you notice how Paul was very careful to change how he talked to and about the high priest? Did you notice that? He called him a whitewashed wall. And then he said that God was going to strike him, which in, in their terms, would, it was a curse. In their understanding, God is going to strike you and judge you. That, that would be what they would consider a curse. So he cursed him. And then when he found out that he was the high priest, he apologized and he didn't say I didn't know he was not the high priest because he wasn't acting like one he didn't put a little another dagger in there as we would have he said I didn't know he was the high priest I'm sorry because God said I should not speak evil about a ruler he didn't take another jab he didn't take another stab he changed exactly how he talked to and about the high priest <clears throat> even though he completely disagreed with him, was angry with him, and was being abused by him. Even though he still was careful how he talked about the high priest. The scripture tells us that no matter how we feel about our leaders, we must not speak evil of them. We can disagree with them. We can explain why we believe they're wrong. But we're not given permission to dishonor them. We're not given permission to insult them. We're not given permission to call them names and to say, to say something. we wish that something evil would happen to them. Why? Because they're made in the image of God, just like we are. They have inherent dignity and value and worth, just like we do. And this is something that this country has no concept of anymore. Or just completely refuses to adhere to because they're so full of hate. What causes a person to talk ugly about another person? It's not love. It's hate. You don't verbally abuse someone because you love them. You do it if you have hate for them. 
just a few years ago, during President Obama's term, a man here in Roberta, who was completely against the president's policies, by the way, completely stood against him and what he was, he was uh, pushing and, and working towards. But he was having a conversation with some other guys. And you can imagine how in Roberta, how that conversation might have went. <laughs> but uh, one of the guys said something bad about the president. And this guy rebuked him. And he said, you know something? He wasn't the president that I wanted. But by golly, he's my president. And you need to be careful how you talk about him. That's a world's difference than the way many who won't even call our current president, Mr. President, acts today but instead just refers to him as the occupant of the White House. And I don't expect things to get any better if the next election goes the other way. I'm not thinking that Republicans are going to respond any differently. So I'm not trying to throw stones at one side or another. Please hear me, hear me say that. But I am trying to teach you a biblical principle. No matter who our leaders are, you're not to treat them less than the image bearers of God that they are. And if we all did that as Christians, this country would be in a lot better place than it is because there are so many who are hurling ugly, vile insults and call themselves defiantly Christians. Now, Paul knew that he was in the wrong in the way that he talked to the high priest and he apologized. But if we're honest... He shouldn't have said it to begin with, and he wouldn't have had to apologize. Many of us have said a lot of things about leaders we should never have said. And so I believe we have a lot of apologizing to do. And we must be careful how we speak of our leaders going forward. But even though Paul was committed to not only suffering for Christ, but also dying for Christ, we see that he was still afraid and needed encouragement and how much more encouragement could a person get than what we saw in verse 11 that Jesus came and appeared with him and stood beside him and told him to have courage more than 40 men decided to kill Paul so the commander had to sneak him out of the city by night and sent him from Jerusalem to Caesarea to the governor Felix to be tried we're going to pick up in Acts 24:10 when the governor mentioned for him to speak, this is Governor Felix, who's now listening to Paul. When the governor mentioned for him to speak, Paul replied, because I know you have been a judge of this nation for many years, I am glad to offer my defense in what concerns me. You can verify for yourself that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They didn't find me arguing with anyone or causing a disturbance among the crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or anywhere in the city. Neither can they prove the charges they are now making against me. But I admit this to you. I worship the God of my ancestors according to the way which they call a sect, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and written in the prophets. Now, now you've heard me mention this before, but I'll say it again. The early Christians did not call themselves Christians. The people who hated Christians, that was the name they called Christians. The early Christians called themselves disciples. That's what Jesus called them. That's what they called themselves, disciples. 
They didn't call their understanding of Messiah, their faith that Jesus is the Messiah, they didn't call that Christianity because they, had not, they weren't called Christians. They called their faith and understanding of the Scripture and Jesus as the Messiah, they called it the way. And that's why you read this right here. He says, I admit to you, I worship the God of my ancestors according to the way, which they call a sect, believing everything that, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and written in the prophets. I have a hope in God, which these men themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection, both of the righteous and the unrighteous. I always strive to have a clear conscience toward God and men. After many years, I came to bring charitable gifts and offerings to my people. While I was doing this, some Jews from Asia found me ritually purified in the temple, without a crowd and without any uproar. It is they who ought to be here before you to bring charges, if they have anything against me. Or let these men here state what wrongdoing they found in me when I stood before this anhedron. Other than this one statement, I shouted while standing among them, Today I am on trial before you concerning the resurrection of the dead. Since Felix was well informed about the way, he adjourned the hearing, saying, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. He ordered that the centurion keep Paul under guard, though he could have some freedom, and that he should not prevent any of his friends from meeting his needs. Several days later, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him on the subject of faith in Christ Jesus. Now, as he spoke about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became afraid and replied, leave for now, but when I have an opportunity, I'll call for you. At the same time, he was also hoping that Paul would offer him money, so he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. After two years had passed, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and because Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. Now, there's so much there we could see, but one thing I just want to mention real quick. Paul taught Felix and his wife, Drusilla, about the way, about Jesus, about righteousness, about the judgment to come. For two years, he called for him often. He wanted him to bribe him and pay him to release him, but Paul didn't. Now, Paul could have. He could have paid him under the table as he knew that's what he wanted, and he could have been back on the street preaching and evangelizing again. But he didn't take the easy way out because the easy way out was the wrong way out. But here's the thing. He explained and taught to him two years and was never able to convert him. Paul, for two years, tried. He was the only one he was allowed to try with, really, and wasn't able to convert him. It's amazing what pride, wealth can do to us. How these things that, that we hold so dearly that we know that if we were to adhere to do what God has called us to do, it would cost us in this world. It would cost us worldly things that we hold on to, sin. And it's amazing how all of us at one time and so many more today still are not willing to let go of those things to embrace what Christ is offering us. <clears throat> We must not take the easy road if it is the wrong road. We must be willing to suffer for our Lord. We need God to give us the strength to do what's right, 
no matter how difficult our circumstances or the consequences. Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, that one day God is going to judge both the living and the dead, the righteous and the unrighteous, and we must get ourselves ready for that day. We must repent of sin and place all of our faith in Jesus alone to save us. Felix left Paul in prison for the next guy, Festus, to take care of. The Jewish leaders in Jerusalem asked Festus to do them a favor and summon Paul to Jerusalem so that they could ambush him and kill him on the way. But Festus told them no. They would have to come to Caesarea and present their case against him there. So about a week later, they did. After they presented their case against him, Paul got to speak. Acts 26, 1 through 32, Paul speaking to King Agrippa. Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission... You have permission to speak for yourself, then Paul. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defense. This is really, really, really long, so I'm going to summarize it for you. Paul started off with this next, well, not the next, let me go two verses. Paul said, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am, I am to make my defense today against all the accusation of the Jews especially since you are very knowledgeable about all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, here's the thing. Paul then pleads his defense to King Agrippa, and he doesn't, he doesn't spare anything. He tells him how everyone must repent of sin. They must submit themselves to God, that they are going to be judged, that the, the world is all, every person in the world is going to stand before God on judgment day. And these are things that the, king, the kings don't want to hear. Kings don't want anybody in their minds, peasants, to look at them and say that they as kings are going to have to answer to somebody else. Kings say, no, 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 I'm in charge. You answer to me. And they don't like to be told they're going to have to bow and submit to someone else. But that is the message that they had to present. And the amazing thing about all of this, all, all of this is that at the end of this message, King Agrippa, after Paul has pleaded the, the, the faith with him, King Agrippa says, are you going to so easily convert me to be a Christian? And then that's, that's all we know what happens. Why would someone say that? Well, they would say that if they thought that they played a pretty good case, wouldn't they? Here, instead of the king retaliating and saying, oh, I'll show you who's going to have to submit to who, instead of him coming back and, and telling Paul that he's dead meat, he ends up saying this, if I can find it. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. Just before that, he had said um, that this man, this man is not doing anything to deserve death or imprisonment. He wanted to release him. So apparently the message that Paul spoke through the Holy Spirit had a strong impact on King Agrippa. But Jesus wasn't done with Paul yet. He still had another emperor he needed to go take that message to. But the one thing that he said in verse 3, he begged King Agrippa to listen to his defense patiently. That implies that he was going to try to teach him about Christ patiently. Paul understood that we as Christians, and especially in the context of pastors, 
we must not be quarrelsome with those who disagree with us. This is what Paul told Timothy, who was a pastor, and Paul was giving Timothy advice on how to be a pastor and how to pastor the church. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, he said, The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. He said, you must not quarrel, but you must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing who? Those who oppose you, your opponents, those who oppose you with gentleness. And then perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. We must be gentle to everyone, and we must be able to teach, not just able to argue, but to explain. And through that whole process, we must be patient, instructing those, instructing those who oppose us with gentleness. Now, I don't know how many conversations you've had with people who completely disagree with you or even slightly disagree with you. But how well were you able to teach and explain your position with gentleness and patience? Typically, it's one or the other. Typically, if you, you're either able to explain your position very well, but not gently, or patiently, or you're being very gentle and patient, but you're not explaining your side very well at all. Usually how those two go. It's hard to do both because the more you know, the more you become impatient. Trust me. I've gotten into some heated conversations with some Jehovah's Witnesses. I have on more than one occasion. And every time I, just like Paul, knew I was wrong and wished I could have went back and had a do-over. That's maybe why Paul gave Timothy this advice. Because when you think you know it so well and you know you're right and you are having a conversation with those who oppose you, it is hard to remain patient and gentle in speech. Through the years, I'm sure Paul had some very heated debates. He just called the high priest a whitewashed wall. <laughs> and I'm sure he did not give much patience and he was not very gentle. But if we actually want to reach the lost for Christ, which I'm sure Paul quickly found out, then we must do it the way he's commanded us to do it. To explain and teach why it is true and to do it gently and patiently. We must not argue and get upset, but instead we must be gentle and patient and clear with our message. Our message must be clearly understood. It must be clear. Since Paul had appealed to Rome, they couldn't release him. 
So they put him on a ship and headed that way. But they got shipwrecked on the island of Malta where he got bit by the viper and shook, shook it off in the fire. At first when he got bit, the, they, they were all prisoners and they had been shipwrecked. And then all the prisoners made it to shore. He paused putting wood on the fire. A viper comes out, latches onto his hand. And then the inhabitants of the island of Malta said, he must be a murderer. He got away from the shipwreck, but the gods didn't allow him to live. You know, karma. He got what was coming to him. But instead, Paul never swelled up. He never got, never, nothing bad happened to him. So then they changed their minds and they believed he was a god. But he was then able to then minister and preach and witness to the inhabitants of the island. But after they were there, they had to, he had to stay there for the winter before heading on. When they finally arrived in Rome, Paul was treated well and placed under house arrest instead of being thrown into prison. And even though he was not allowed to go out and evangelize like he always had, he still had, did not stop ministering. Acts 28, 30 and 31 says, Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Did you hear that? He can't leave his house and do ministry the way he'd always been doing it. He couldn't go into the synagogues like he always did when he entered a new town. He couldn't go to the town speaking halls and use those as venues to speak to the people in public. He couldn't even go from house to house and speak to people in private. He could not do ministry the way he had always done ministry. What are those last two words? But he ministered from his house without hindrance. Paul proclaimed those things about Christ and the kingdom to anyone who would visit him with all boldness and without hindrance. You see, no matter what situation you find yourself in in life, you can still minister and make a difference for the kingdom while you are here. And it has become easier than ever with the internet now. Maybe you will find yourself one day not able to get out of the house anymore. You won't be able to go to the world, but the world can come to you. Just like people came to Paul through the internet or a phone. Social, social media, as many problems as it presents, and trust me, I believe it presents more problems than it does good things. As many problems as it presents, it has provided a platform for you to reach far more people and far quicker than ever in history. And not just those well-known leaders who get TV time. This is any person, anywhere, no matter what your status, you can reach far more people and far quicker than you ever could in any other time in history. So we must be like Paul. We must be completely committed all the way to our death, who does not speak evil of others, who does what's right even when it's the difficult path and rejects what's wrong no matter how easy it would be and no matter how rewarding we deceive ourselves into thinking it would be, who teaches and explains the way patiently, gently, and clearly to those who oppose us 
no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, knowing that God will not allow anything to hinder his ministry through us. What do you need to work on to be more like Paul who told us to imitate him as, as he imitated Christ? 1 Corinthians 11.1 1. What do you need to work on to be more like Paul who is trying to be more like Christ? Because I just read about five things I need to work on. But pick one. Pick one. What's one thing you can focus on doing that will make you more into the image of Christ? If you would stand and join us as we have our closing song. <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you one thing that I've been asking myself. Can you feel comfortable looking at those around you, younger, older, doesn't matter, and telling them what, what Paul told us? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. If not, let's do something about it. Let's pray together. Father, you have given us life. You gave us existence. You have promised us a hope and a future that cannot even be compared with anything else. Father, you've given us everything. You have forgiven us of our sins so that we could spend eternity with you. Father, help us faithfully give our lives to you every day so that we imitate you every day. Every day we get up, we strive to imitate you. And help us to lead holy lives before others so that we can confidently ask others to imitate us as we imitate you. Father, forgive us when we fail. But Father, give us the courage and the strength and the boldness and the wisdom and the love to succeed. Father, help us live our lives for you the way you want us to live our lives for you. Father, help us to be gentle and patient with those who oppose us and to not speak dis, in a dishonoring way, in an ugly way about those who we disagree with. We love you, Father. Help us to love others. Help us to love you more every day. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.